I do believe that as the children of God, uh, we ought to corner the market when it comes to joy. We ought to corner the market when it comes to hope. We ought to corner the market when it comes to grace. And so my prayer is when we show up and we gather together that there's something unshakable in our joy. There's something unshakable in our perspective that something wells up inside us that despite what comes against us and despite the world that we're living in and the circumstances that we're facing, our God is good and our God is mighty and our God is available and he's able. Amen. And so we well up in joy and, and happy new year. I pray you celebrated it well. I pray you stepped into this season with some optimism with some enthusiasm and some confidence, knowing that your God is still active and your God is productive among you. And uh, anyone make it to midnight? Anyone make it to midnight? That's a challenge for us nowadays. For the last few years, we've been celebrating New Year's with Argentina, right? We, we shut it down at about 9 or 10, but we did make it to midnight this year. Talked to an individual in the lobby, and he said they made it to midnight as well. I said, awesome, got to see the new year in. He said, no, I wanted to see the last year out. Right? And whatever your perspective is coming in, uh, we're glad that you are here. And you ought to give yourself a pat on the back because right now you have perfect church attendance this year. <laughs> like you are a saint and you are slaying the game and you ought to be just proud of the righteousness that is bestowed upon you, right? Go ahead and just own it. And uh, we're excited that you guys are here, whether you're in the room, online, or at one of our 12 campuses. If you're new to Northview, we are one church with 12 different locations. And anyone just thankful for what God is doing in our church, among our church? It's outstanding. Anyone amazed by what God did at Christmas here at Northview? I mean, thousands and thousands of people got to hear the gospel. Thousands of people volunteered to make it all possible. The staff went above and beyond, and our pastor knocked it out of the park, sermon after sermon after sermon. Can we just celebrate the legend who is our pastor, <laughs> Pastor Steve? Chris and I and our kids, we got to celebrate Christmas with Pastor Steve and Sandy. And uh, Pastor Steve got me a Carson Wentz jersey. Carson Wentz is number two. I pulled out the jersey. And uh, my son goes, I get it. You're pastor number two. And uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is CJ Johnson, and I am the new senior pastor elect in this season. And, and Pastor Steve is retiring this year, and him and I are doing some double duty. And we're kind of loving it because neither one of us have ever had this much margin in our preaching calendar. There's parts of it that I love. I mean, a month off, a month on. Uh, but then there are parts of it that make me really nervous. Growing up playing basketball, I found that if I ever sat the bench too long, I was a rhythm player. But by the time I'd get back in the game, I was out of rhythm, and you could tell. And so I fear coming into today that, folks, this might be an air ball, right? But I'm, I'm glad you showed up to witness it. And, uh, you know, have you ever found yourself on the edge of rain? Ever seen like a storm come in and, and you can see it making its way towards you and there's that brief moment, but you're on the edge of rain. You ever witnessed that? Where for a moment, part of you is being drenched by the rain and part of you is dry. I've been fascinated by those moments when a storm comes in and whether it's brief or quick, you find yourself on the edge of rain. And as a pastor, sometimes I, I feel as when we gather and I look out upon congregations, I sometimes feel like we're on the edge of rain. 
When you look around a church space, you can look down rows and you can see individuals who are having an encounter with God. You can just sense the divine purpose on their life. You can see God stirring things up, whether it's coming out in the expression of their worship or or whether it's in their joy or maybe even tears. God is doing something in that person's life. Yet in the same row, maybe even in the seat next to him, is someone else having a radically different experience. Maybe this individual grew up jaded to the church, calloused heart, bad experiences, and so one person is being drenched by heaven and the other person just has a parched soul. I feel like when we gather, sometimes we are on the edge of rain. And I want you to know that my agenda for some of you is to just nudge you across the edge. My prayer this year is to move the needle in your life spiritually to where you find yourself on the other edge of rain. Where you stop looking at people in the auditorium like, well, that's good for them, but I'm not having that experience. You start to realize, no, this is valid and this is available to every single one of us. This God is truly remarkable. What would happen if in 2022 you just got on the other side of the edge of rain? God, I want all that you have in store for me this year. And I believe this will be the best year of your life if it is your best year spiritually. I am convinced of that. And so lean in this year. And I want to personally welcome all of you who you're not a Christian. Maybe you're watching online or you're at one of our campuses and you have yet to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Know that we are so glad that you are here. In fact, you can always feel right at home here at our church. Here at our church, you can belong long before you ever believe or behave the way we behave. We're so excited that you're here and just know that at some point, every single one of us had doubts and questions. Not a single one of us was born a Christian, but every single one of us had to make a decision to surrender our life to Christ. And you may not be a Christian, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. And not to condemn anybody, but I am just convinced that our God is the real deal. Our God is unparalleled. Though there is no comparison, there is no substitute, there is no second option. He stands alone in the league of his own. He is not on a different planet. He is in a different galaxy. Our God is indescribable and he is unparalleled. He's awesome and he's greater than anything you could ever anchor your identity to, greater than anything you could ever anchor your hope to, your passion, your devotion, your appetite, and your purpose. Our God is amazing and he will alter anyone's life for the good, and he will work all things for the good of those who trust him and call upon his name. And so if you're not a Christian, take a deep breath, but I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. I want you to know who this Jesus is, and I want you to know how much he loves you. And what is amazing about scripture and what is amazing about the Christian life is you don't have to be a Christian to benefit from some of the things that we believe. Now, I do think as followers of Christ, we have to be really careful here. As Christians, we should expect Christians to act like Christians. But we get into some really bizarre behaviors when we start trying to expect or push or demand non-Christians to act like Christians. Well, if you're not a Christian, you shouldn't believe or do what we do, right? Um, But we do expect Christians to act like Christians. Are you tracking with me? 
But I find that there's so much wisdom in the word of God that in his revelation, his written word, the Bible, there's so much that even if you don't believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can walk away from a conversation like today thinking, I don't know if I receive him as my Lord and Savior, but that makes a lot of sense. And I'm going to apply that to my life. And I find that a lot of people have given their life to Christ because they found out that God was improving their life long before he ever became their Lord and Savior. So if you're not a Christian, I believe today's conversation will still be helpful for you. I feel like we live in a world that the logic, well, it's just getting out of hand. You want to look around and just think, what is going on in our world? And find yourself thinking common sense just doesn't seem that common anymore. Anyone else? Like, what happened to common sense? And what we're finding is we are just perpetuating the cycle in our minds where we are giving ourselves over to really faulty thinking. A lot of times we're subscribing ourselves to bad logic. A lot of times we are offering others bad logic. And what we fall into a trap is, is if it sounds good, we assume it's good. You ever found that to be the case? Well, that just sounds good. Let's adopt that principle. I grew up, people would say, well, the grass isn't greener on the other side. Oh, yeah, that sounds good, actually. Hey, the grass isn't greener on the other side. We should pass that on to the next generation. Hey, the grass isn't greener on the other side. Tell that to your coworkers. The grass isn't greener on the other side. Hey, get in a fight in your marriage. Hey, the grass isn't greener on the other side. And we just perpetuated this logic. But in all reality, and some of you discovered this because you bought a home and you live next to that guy <laughs> where the grass is greener on the other side. But in some way, we're endorsing this idea, hey, just go around pretending like you're blind, acting as if you don't see the difference between some people's lives and yours. No, some people actually do have a better marriage because they treat each other well and they serve each other's needs. They prioritize going on dates together. They have a better marriage. Some people are better with their finances because they spend less than they make. They save, they give. They're good stewards. The grass is actually greener on that side. And some people do. They raise their kids differently. And so their kids, they do thrive in different ways. Sometimes, church, the grass is actually greener on the other side. I find that the grass is greener where you water it. The grass is greener where you plant some seed. And chances are, if you find yourself with some patches in your yard, maybe you need to get the watering. And maybe you need to get the sowing. Hey, I am going to tend to what God has trusted me with, amen? But it's just not good logic. I grew up also hearing people say, hey, it's, I'd rather wear out than rust out. And I always thought to myself, are those our only options? <laughs> to wear out or rust out, these are our only options. Or people would say, hey, work smarter, not harder. And I would think to myself, why can't we do both? Why can't we work smart and hard at the same time? So you can be a genius but lazy, or you can be hardworking but dumb. Why can't you just be smart and diligent? That's just dumb advice in my mind. I feel like wisdom has become whiz-dumb, right? Like that's just dumb to me. Anyone feel like they wish they were an octopus? So you could slap eight people at once? Like... <laughs> That just doesn't make sense. And I know that's just a joke. It sounds funny. You can laugh at it because church ought to be a funny place. But here's the deal. We bump into stuff all the time, right? I think we have three options when we bump into things. One, we can reject it. We can receive it. 
or we can redeem it. Sometimes you can just sense in your gut that's foolishness. And you need to reject it. And some of you, I, I feel I need to throw caution to the wind because you are entertaining foolishness. We all do this, and our world is so good at marketing foolishness. But the challenge in a series like this is, hey, develop some wisdom. Develop the ability to stand rooted in God's word and his revelation for your life so you can discern what is right and true. So you don't give yourself over to faulty thinking. There are some things that you just need to reject. Other things you just need to receive. You go to the doctor and he says, hey, if you want to live long, stay healthy, well, you should exercise regularly, eat moderately and better, get better sleep. Well, that's just good advice. You should, you should receive it. I think the area that needs the most discernment is this area of redeeming some things. I find that we live in a, a world that is so pervasive that they have hijacked things that God meant for good. And then what happens is, is the people of God, we develop a disdain towards those things. When in all reality, we should look at those things with, with optimism and with hope through the filter of heaven saying that can be redeemed. I don't want to spend too much time on this. But one obvious example would be sex. Culture has perverted sex. But church, if you haven't read your Bible, it was God's design. It was his gift to man and woman to cherish together in a marriage, all to experience intimacy and a connection that is truly unique to them. It's a beautiful thing. We can redeem the conversation. Are you tracking with me? So you can reject it, you can receive it, you can redeem it. And my prayer in a series like this is that every single one of us, myself included, raises the level of awareness in our thinking that says I have to pay more attention to what I'm subscribing to and what I'm prescribing to others. You ever paid attention to the directions you're giving people? Have you ever thought to yourself, I wonder what happened to the person I gave directions to? <laughs> I've given some directions, and I did not have confidence. But I, I, I sold it like I had some confidence. You just take it down a mile, hang a right. It's right there on your left. And that person probably got lost, right? We've got to be really careful when we're just subscribing or prescribing callously or casually. In Scripture, you find someone by the name of Moses who was an absolute legend. If you're new to Scripture, you should get to know Moses' story. We get to hear of his story from birth to death. We get to see it all from the very beginning when his mom puts him in a basket and sends him down the river as this courageous act to save his life. He's then picked up and he is raised in Pharaoh's house. Pharaoh was the king of Egypt and the Egyptians had rule and reign over the Israelite people, which were Moses' people. Moses grew up in royalty while watching his people be enslaved. Eventually he he rose up in just a righteous anger. I have to do something about this. There would come a couple heirs on his end, but God would lead him out into the, the wilderness on his own for 40 years to, to really go to work in his life, to develop him, and ultimately to bring him back. Also that he could be a liberator. Also that he could be a leader and lead his people out of slavery. You should know that God still desires to raise up modern day Moseses. People who care so deeply about people that they're courageous enough to step back into a setting all to lead people out of bondage. 
I wonder who in your life is stuck in a situation that God may be equipping you to step back into that situation with some confidence and some strength and some grace and some poise and some wisdom to say, hey, I'm going to help you get out of this situation. You might be a modern-day Moses for somebody. He steps back in and goes toe-to-toe with Pharaoh. In fact, there's this fascinating portion of Scripture where God just goes off the handle on this Pharaoh guy. I mean, if you think the Bible's boring, you just haven't read the Bible. The Bible is amazing. And God is throwing plagues at him like frogs and locusts and turning things into blood. It's like, my goodness, this guy is creative in what he's doing. Right? God is just going off the handle on this Pharaoh guy. Eventually, the Israelites, they step out of Egypt. And they go across the Red Sea into the wilderness on their way. On their way to the promised land. The place that God had destined and the place that God had decided would be their future. Yet what happens? They get in the wilderness and they start wandering. In fact, they wander for 40 years. And why did they wander? Because they fell into a cycle where their memories began carrying more weight than their dreams. You ever bumped into this person? What happens is, is we go through life and we start to assume that our best days are behind us. And their memories started to carry more weight than their dreams. And before you knew it or know it, the Israelite people started longing for Egypt again. Because if you're not careful, you'll give yourself over to a way of thinking that has you in some way longing for bondage once again. And so they spend 40 years wandering the wilderness, never stepping into the promised land. And so at the end of Moses' life, at the end of four decades of just aimlessly wandering around, he prays a prayer. And it comes to us in the book of Psalms, and it kind of gets heavy at first, but he says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. I love this, that he pauses for a second, and he, he just looks at God's resume. God, you've been consistent. You've been active. Before and after I'm here, God, you're still present. You've been doing this thing all throughout history. And sometimes we need to pump the brakes a little bit and remind ourselves that God has been on the throne from day one, church. From day one. And he has done remarkable things in every generation throughout all of history. And so we need to, again, develop some courage. Develop some confidence. God's got this. You've been apart from every generation. goes on to tell us, before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves that. You turn people back to dust saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. And they are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. Anyone getting depressed yet? We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath, and we finish our years with a moan. He goes on to tell us our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass 
and we fly away. Tells us this, if only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. And then he prays this, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Come on, say that with me. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I mean, what are you trying to gain in life? Some people are trying to gain influence. A lot of people are trying to gain wealth. Some people are trying to gain power. What are you trying to gain? This legend of the faith, this pioneer of our faith, Moses gets to the end of his road, and the one thing he desires, the one thing he hopes to gain, is, Lord, would you just, would you help me gain some wisdom? It's interesting, all throughout Scripture, God encourages us to pray for wisdom. I personally believe that the wisdom prayer is one of God's favorite prayers to answer. God, would you give me wisdom? What are you trying to gain in your life? I mean, that's the question I would ask you. What are you trying to gain? What are you trying to gain in your life? And he says, Lord, would you teach us to number our days? There's something about understanding the life that you've given us and the time that we have that sparks a discovery of greater wisdom, which has me focused on today's bad advice. I've heard people say things about time my entire life. And I find that when, you know, we say this to young people, or a lot of times we say this to people just getting started, when people are at a new endeavor, maybe they just got married or they just had kids or they just started their career, and there's always this thought that gets passed on, hey, take your time, you have all the time in the world. You ever heard someone say that? You have all the time in the world. In church, no, you don't. You don't have all the time in the world. I don't have all the time in the world. And what happens is, is we permit each other to take our foot off the gas and to take for granted the life Jesus died to give us. And so it's recognizing Wisdom is found in my time management. It is found in my ability to steward my life well. In today's conversation, it is. It, it's going to feel more pastoral. But my challenge and my prayer is that you'd walk away thinking, I'm going to steward my time better. Because I don't have all the time in the world. And I do only live once. But if I live it right, once is enough. Here's what I've discovered. Time is what we want the most, yet use the worst. You ever discovered that? It's what we want the most, but we use the worst. I mean, time is free, but it's also priceless. I mean, you can't own it, but you can use it, right? And once you do use it, it's gone. I mean, it's so precious. Have you ever thought about the value of time? Like, if you want to understand the value of a year, talk to the student who failed the final exam. You want to, you know, discover the value of a month, talk to the mom with a premature baby. You want to discover the value of a week, talk to the family returning from vacation. You want to talk about the value of a day, talk to the couple celebrating their 55th wedding anniversary. You want to talk to the individual who can help you understand the value of an hour talk to someone stuck in traffic you want to understand the value of a minute well 
Talk to someone who just missed the flight. You want to discover the value of a second? Talk to the person who just survived the crash. And you want to discover the value of a millisecond? Well, talk to a silver medalist in the Olympics. Like time is, it's precious and it's valuable. And time flies. But here's the thing, time flies. But church, you're the pilot. This is the thing. We blame our time management on everybody else. When in all reality, your life is called your life because it's your life. Your calendar is called your calendar because it's your calendar. You're tracking with me. Time flies. But you're the pilot. And so it's just saying, hey, I'm going to take ownership of the life that I'm living and I'm not going to be casual in this area and I'm going to be disciplined and I'm going to be diligent and I'm going to make the most of the life Jesus died to give me because life is too amazing I mean do you enjoy life like sometimes I'm selling people on life you just look out and people just look borderline depressed I'm like, guys, my God is still on the throne. He's awesome and he's great. And yes, I've gone through some struggles in my life, in my marriage, in my ministry with my kids. But God has been faithful through it all. And he somehow worked all things to the good of us as we trusted him through it. And I promise you, God will put a smile on your face, hope within your heart, strength within your bones. If you just trust him with everything that you are. Life is awesome. It's not perfect. And it's not easy. But living it right is worth it. Time flies, but you're the pilot. And what I've discovered is everybody likes to have fun. Like if we were to do a survey here today and say, hey, how many of you like to have fun? Everybody would raise their hand. But tragically, not everybody's having fun. You notice that? Isn't that interesting? We all like to have fun, but not a lot of people are having fun. And the reason why is everybody likes to have fun, But few people know how to make fun. We expect someone else to do it for us. And here's the deal. Don't just be a party goer. Be a party thrower. Be the type of person that says, no, I'm I'm just going to live life eyes wide open. And I'm going to make the most of every opportunity. And I'm just going to love the life God has entrusted me with. And I'm not going to expect other people to foster the joy around me. I'm just going to cultivate some joy on my own because God is good. And this, well, it's my life. But I think we, we fall in the faulty thinking because we do a couple things that perpetuate this logic when it comes to our time management. And the first thing that we do is we over-exaggerate yesterday. You ever discovered this? I mean, the fish gets bigger. The hill on the walk to school gets higher. Right? I mean, we just over-exaggerate yesterday. We over-exaggerate our failures, and we over-exaggerate our successes. And both are problematic. And I find that it's hard for today to be exceptional when yesterday was so exaggerated. It's hard for today to be exceptional when yesterday was so exaggerated. Some of you, you're over-exaggerating the shame of your past. You fall into cycles where you just reinforce this shame and this guilt and this regret and these loathing thoughts and feelings that keep you bound to the past. And listen, God's grace is sufficient. 
And if you don't understand that, you need to lean into scripture that says he has separated you as far as your, from your sins as far as east is from the west. That's a pretty big margin. If you don't understand how great God's grace is in your life, go measure the distance between east and west. Come back with your answer, right? You'll never arrive at the full conclusion. God is just constantly separating us from the things that entangle us. Some of you, you just need to fully find rest and peace in the grace of God. And if you don't let your past die, your past won't let your future live. And so at some point, you've got to stop. Well, I'd say it this way. You've got to stop rehearsing it, and you need to start reversing it. Like at some point, I, I'm not going to just continue perpetuating and fostering these feelings of guilt and shame. I'm not rehearsing it anymore. God, by your grace, I'm going to reverse this. Because what happens is, is we spend so much time trying to repair the past that we spend almost zero time preparing the future. Listen, you can't go back in time and change your ancestors. But you can influence your descendants. And so it's living with a forward thinking, saying, my God has my back, and I'm moving forward. Stop over-exaggerating your failures. Others of you, you're over-exaggerating your successes. And that's problematic because you've created such an illustrious view of yourself in the past, you can't live up to a former version of yourself. You've created a shadow that you can't live up to because you've over-magnified the glory days, Right? And sometimes it's just live in balance. I'm not going to over-exaggerate these areas in my life. In addition to that, we overestimate tomorrow. I mean, this is just what we do. We put off everything until tomorrow. And we fall into what? Procrastination. Which I believe procrastination is the thief of time. In addition to that, I believe procrastination is our favorite form of self-sabotage. I mean, some people wear it as a badge of honor. I just like to procrastinate. Like, we wear it as if it's a good quality. And some of you right now, you're going to hear this conversation, and you're thinking, I love it. I'm all for it. I'm going to start that tomorrow. This <laughs> <laughs> is kind of what we do. We love to procrastinate. And so we're always putting things off to tomorrow, and then we're forced to try to keep up with yesterday. Well, that's one you write down. I didn't say that at the first service. But when you procrastinate, you put everything off till tomorrow, and you're caught keeping up with yesterday. And it's saying, I, I just need to be a little bit more diligent, and I need to stop procrastinating. Others of you, and I'm going to say this gently, it's not that you procrastinate, it's that you're really productive at unimportant things. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you ever found that person? It's like, man, you're really good at things that don't matter. <laughs> and guys, I, I say that in love, and I'm guilty of this as well. But again, church, your life, it's your life. And you ought to invest yourself into the areas that bring the highest return. Stop spending your time. Start investing your time. I am going to pour myself into the things that bring the most fulfillment, the most joy, and into the relationships that matter the most. But somewhere in our culture, we gave way to this thinking or this expectation that our goal in life is to somehow impress people who we barely know. 
And so we're living for the approval of really shallow relationships and we're overlooking the people who matter the most in our life. And I find that our fear of mattering much draws us away from what matters most. Our fear of mattering much, I want them to think highly of me. I want them to be impressed by me. I want them to like my social media post or whatever. Our fear of mattering much, it draws us away from what matters most. And before we know it, we're, we're neglecting the most important areas of our life, the most important relationships in our lives. And it's just learning to say, I'm going to devote myself to the most important areas in my life. I mean, give the best of yourself to those closest to you. I don't know about you, but I want to be respected the most by those who have the most access to me. I want my family to be the ones who have the most appreciation for me. And I just think that's a healthy goal for every single one of us. I want those who know me the best to respect me the most. And some of it is just choosing to not give into some of the bizarre things that get projected onto us. Like, I think marriage is a blast. I think marriage is the funnest thing on the planet. I love it. I love being married. I'm married out of my league, so that's part of it. But I just think marriage is the coolest thing ever. I think this whole ball and chain stereotype gets way too much press. Not everybody's depressed in their marriage. Some are absolutely loving it. Like for Krista and I, I mean, some people would be concerned if they ever popped into our house. Because we've like turned adulthood into a sport. You ever found that in marriage? One of my favorite things is that strange things become hobbies. Before you know it, it's like you like grocery shopping. You like cleaning together. It's like, I don't know. It's just what we do together. Before you know it, you're walking around the house cheering each other on for really random things. Baby, I love what you did with the closet. Awesome job, right? <laughs> I don't know. Make it you. Tailor fit it to yourself and your spouse. But marriage is amazing. Parenting is amazing. Stop falling into these cycles and conversations with your peers where you're throwing shade at your kids. Yeah, my kid's annoying too. That kid is annoying because they're like you. <laughs> oh, that's pretty funny. No, like stop doing that. Like kids are amazing. And this is what we do. Yeah, the old ball and chain, all these little. No, like love it. Just find so much joy in the life you get to live. And stop falling into this pattern of like I gotta matter much to people that it draws me away from what matters most. Recently I ran into a lady who works at my kids' school. She knows my daughter and she said, hey, you're Riley's dad. And before I could say anything, she said, or should I say the pastor of Northview? And I said, no, stick with Riley's dad. It's a much better title. And I hope that doesn't offend anyone, but I would never want any person to put their occupation over their most fundamental relationships. Don't ever fall into that kind of thing. Don't ever fall into it. I am Riley K's dad. Guys, life is, life is awesome. I mean, do you believe that? Because I really feel like I'm selling this group. <laughs> it's awesome. And Jesus made a promise. He said, hey, I, I not just came so you could have life. I came so you could have abundant life. 
that you could experience peace in a storm and joy and despair, that you could find strength and weakness and you could find purpose and confusion and my goodness, and you could play a part in my redemptive story in humanity. You could link arms with other children of God and you could make a dent in the world and I could use you to accomplish things that are so far beyond your comprehension. I'll do exceedingly, abundantly, more than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. Guys, that's a Bible verse, not my opinion. Life is outstanding. But if you over-exaggerate yesterday and you overestimate tomorrow, what's going to happen is you're going to overlook today. You're going to overlook today. And I tell people all the time, you never step into the same river twice. Life just keeps moving. You step out, well, you step back in. It's a different river. Things move on. Life moves on. Your career moves on. Those kids move on. You never step into the same river twice. And I get so concerned with people who are not stewarding well the life God gave them. A lot of times we, we just assume greatness is for other people. We assume conversations like this only apply to a select few, and that's wrong. I always ask people three questions. One, if not here, where? God can't do it among us. Where can he do it? Two, if not us, who? And three, if not now, when? I mean, why not live with an expectation, God, I believe you're able to accelerate some things in my life. Made me think of growing up, one of my favorite movies was Peter Pan. Any Peter Pan fans? I love Peter Pan. And uh, in the 90s, Peter Pan, Toys R Us, they were really fostering this idea for us kids, right? I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid, right? That was what was cool about the Lost Boys. They never grew up, never wanted to grow up. It's called a Peter Pan complex. Psychologists literally refer to that as a Peter Pan complex, someone who just never wants to arrive at a place of responsibility. They never want to mature. They never want to grow up. I feel like some of you young people, I, I really need to stress this to someone. If you hit your wagon to someone with a Peter Pan complex, well, you end up with a Wendy dilemma. And I'm just going to leave that there, but you should journal about that. If you hit your wagon... To someone with a Peter Pan complex, you are going to end up with a Wendy dilemma. There's some meat there that you could chew on. But at the end of the day, it's saying I'm going to arrive at greater levels of discernment, greater levels of ownership, greater levels of responsibility and intentionality when it comes to my life. And I think here's the thing. Decisions help us start, but it's disciplines that help us finish. It's saying, God, would you help me develop some disciplines and some handles so I can do this well? Okay, pastor, we get the idea. We need to steward our time better. Well, here's some things that we can do. One, we need to focus on the clock. I mean, life moves at a pace of 60 seconds per minute, and we're all experiencing it at the same pace. Yet some of us, we're, we're just wasting the time that has been given to us. They got to have me thinking about Super Bowl 47. Remember when the Ravens played the 49ers and the power went out in the Super Bowl? So I get stressed out about stuff like this. I'm the type of guy who my mind just wanders on things, right? So the power was out for 34 minutes. 91 million people 
watched Super Bowl 47. And the power went out for 34 minutes. So I like pull out my phone like, what are we doing here? Guys, 91 million people, 34 minutes, that's 55 million hours that humanity wasted in the moment. 2.1 million days in an instance. I mean, these numbers get really dramatic if you start talking about how much time we spend on social media, watching TV, or just twiddling our thumbs. I mean, it's just being mindful about the time we've been given in church. I'm not talking about living exhausted. I'm talking about living efficient. There's a radical difference. And I find, and I'm going to be careful with this one, but, but track with me. I find that most people don't work well when they're on the clock, so they end up having to work around the clock. I just watch people, I'm like, they're bad stewards of their time. They spend too much time in the break room. They spend too much time just wandering throughout the day at the office, and then they get home and they have to sit in front of the computer. And they have to neglect what is most important. They didn't work well while they were on the clock. And I know this is touching on some things. And, and I can sense it. Like this is landing with some folks. But we don't work well when we're on the clock. And then we end up working around the clock. And it's just saying I'm, I'm done doing that. I'm done doing that. The other thing we've got to pay attention to is the calendar. A lot of things, if you don't schedule it, it won't happen. And at some point, it's saying, I'm, I'm not just going to allow anything and everything to dominate my calendar. I'm not going to spend a fortune to let other people raise my kids. My kids go to school for eight hours a day. Then they go to practice for two. And what? I get to do bedtime and homework? That's my kid. And I want them to succeed. And I want them to play sports. And I want them to participate. But at the end of the day, chances are they may not make it pro. But that kid's going to be in my life for the rest of my life. And I'm going to be in their life. I know. Thank you, thank you up there. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, you got to pay attention to the calendar. Because here's the deal. The battle for your heart, it's fought on the pages of your calendar. Get a date on the calendar. Date your spouse. I mean, get a family vacation on the calendar. Church, here's the deal. And I want to be careful here because I know that when you stand on a platform, sometimes you, 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 you're given influence that people can misinterpret. But sometimes a wise relational decision seems like a foolish financial decision. I promise you, if you book the vacation and you take those kids away and you spend time together as a family, you won't regret it. A lot of times we just let the calendar go by like, I don't know if we should spend money on this. I promise you, you'll get down the road and you're not going to be like, we spent how much to go to Disney? Why did we really go camping in Yellowstone? You won't regret it. In fact, it'll be those moments that you cherish for the rest of your life. So some of you get it on the calendar. Don't let time slip by. Time is too precious. Get it on the calendar. Here's another way of thinking about it. If you want to measure someone's wisdom, look at their calendar. If you want to measure someone's wisdom, look at their calendar. And lastly, guys, got to pay attention to the cycle. Life is hardwired with cycles. There's the water cycle. There's all these different cycles. 
And life comes in seasons, and every season has a reason. And if you don't understand the reason, just remind yourself, it's a season. This comes and goes. But you start to realize, hey, there are things in the cycle of my life that are just consistent. Sometimes it's things in the cycle of your career that are consistent. Learn to prepare for those things, right? But I do think this year, I just believe it in my heart, this is going to be a remarkable year for our church. It's going to be a remarkable year for us personally and corporately. I believe that this is going to be a year full of divine opportunities. And I'm convinced this is going to be a season, season. I pray that you just find yourself seasoned opportunities. But here's what I want to end with. Moses says, Lord, teach us to number our days. And my question for you is, what are the best days of your life? Top seven best days of my life. Here we go. We'll list them out for you. April 17, 2004, fully surrendered my life to Christ. I was raised in a great home, Christian home. But up until that point, I was inheriting my faith. Then I discovered there is no carpool lane to heaven. And God doesn't have grandchildren. He only has children. So I had to embrace this relationship on my own. And so gave my life to Christ April 17, 2004. August 19, 2006, Kristen Deanne Way said yes to marrying me. And I pulled off the con of a lifetime. <laughs> and um, every day I'm amazed by that. October 31st, 2009, Riley K. Johnson made me a dad. August 1st, our chunkiest one showed up. Canon James Johnson. Then came Miles Griffin Johnson on April 24, 2013. And then five years later, to our surprise, Presley Monroe showed up on May 23, 2018. And then August 16, 2021, I was voted in as the new senior pastor of this church. Those are some of the best days of my life. But here's what Moses is getting at. And if you haven't taken any notes, this is the one thing I want you to write down. This is the one thing I've been building to this whole message. And here it is. Wise are those who spend the rest of their days building upon the best of their days. Wise are those who spend the rest of their days building upon the best of their days. Meaning, if I spend every single day honoring my relationship with God... Honoring my marriage, honoring my kids, and honoring the assignment God has entrusted me with, my life turns out pretty good. And if I spend the rest of my days building on the best of my days, well, there's wisdom in that. Wise are those who spend the best of their days, the rest of their days, building on the best of their days. And it's recognizing life is best measured in moments, not by minutes. It's best measured in moments, not by minutes. So create moments in your life that you're going to cherish forever, which I know you've been staring at this this whole time. <laughs> you ever find that we have all these balls in life, we're trying to juggle balls? It's partly why we're a basket case, right? I think some balls you just got to get rid of, right? Some of you, you're, you're juggling things that you just need to get rid of. But then there are all these other balls. Anyone, can anyone actually juggle? Can you juggle? Raise your hand if you can juggle. I had a basketball coach who used to make us juggle. I can do three. And you can book me for your kid's birthday party. Show of hands if you can do four. Anyone do four? I can't do four. I'll, I'll try it, though. Oh. We'll try it one more time. And you're going to make donations here at the end. I'm going to put a ball cap up here for you. Nope, I'm, I'm terrible at it. Should I go for a fourth try? You're like, no, I don't want to see. Here, here's the deal. 
we're all trying to juggle too many balls. And what happens is, is you're going to drop some balls. But the good news is, they bounce back. So you drop the ball in your career, maybe have to lose your job or find a different form of occupation. Well, that ball can bounce back. Sometimes you drop your ball in your health, which on New Year's, we all ate things we shouldn't have ate. Well, the good news is, is you can get a gym membership that can bounce back. Drop the ball in your education. Well, you can retake the course again. That can bounce back. But some balls, they don't bounce back. Time doesn't bounce back. That bundle of joy becomes a walking hormone, and they never become a bundle of joy again. (laughs) It doesn't bounce back. And church, what I'm praying as you step into this new year is you won't drop that ball. Don't drop the one ball that doesn't bounce back. And here's the thing, I don't want you to walk out of here with a regret, but my prayer is that you walk out of here with a reset. My life is my life. Moving forward, I'm stewarding it differently. Amen.